0: You're listening to the Above the Mug Show, a podcast that highlights people whose passions drive their life. My name is Lucas Spinoza, and I own a coffee shop. Every day I meet dozens of interesting people, and today I sit down with one of them to inspire you to live your life passion-forward. What is going on, everybody? It's your friend, Lucas Minosa, coming at you from my office inside of the Black Sheep Lounge right here in the heart of downtown Welland, Ontario. You're listening to Above the Mug, a podcast that highlights positive people, and we're here to show you how you can use your passions to live your life passion forward. Today, joined by an incredibly special guest, someone very near and dear to my heart, the radiant, the intelligent, registered practical nurse, Catherine, aka Katie Cornwall. How are you, my love?
1: Fantastic.
0: This is amazing. So I'm excited on multiple levels to do this podcast. One, because we haven't had a healthcare professional um, in the same regard as you are, uh, as well as the fact that I get to share a side of my life that a lot of people don't get to see, the source for so much of my happiness and my inspiration and my passion, which is you. And if you didn't catch it by the very uh, cheesy intro... You're, we're talking about my girlfriend, Katie, who's on the other side of the table here. That's me, baby. <laughs> That's her. Now, um, what an interesting time to be a nurse. I don't want to get in, in, into it too much yet, uh, but obviously everyone knows what's going on with COVID-19, a.k.a. coronavirus. But I don't want to start there because you have so, much, uh, so many interesting things to touch on first. So you're a registered practical nurse. Why I am so interested in this is because before we were together, I didn't know anything about healthcare at all. Um, I never really had any serious problems. My brother went through some stuff, and so I dealt with hospitals and uh, with doctor's offices and, and different institutions. But maybe a good place to start is, what, what made you want to be a nurse? I know it's a huge part of your family, but what, what is it about nursing that really got you excited about doing that profession?
1: I think it started when my mom was bringing me to work. I had to have been maybe seven seven or eight
0: because your mom is a nurse
1: yes (laughs) um and while she was working days so she'd always work seven to three and I would go in with her whether it be take your kid to work day or um just if my dad was on the job and we didn't have a babysitter or anything and she would get me together with the recreation staff uh, that did all the activities with the elderly in the home and that was a really fun time for me I it's a lot of memories that I will never forget. Um, We were playing shuffleboard and cards and activities. And as as a young kid, you don't think about the elderly in the way that you do once you get older. Um, It was more of just like an awesome play date as a kid, right? So yeah, really fun stuff. And that's kind of where it all started branching out. And as I got older, um, I started to kind of realize and I was learning stories. And then at my mom's work, um, I had the opportunity to be like a supportive aide to one of the residents there through a, uh, a secondhand company, and it was recreation. And then I started feeding, and that's when I really thought that I, these are the people I want to take care of. I, you know, was idolizing my mother. Then I started learning more about my grandma and her nursing profession, and that's kind of where it took forward.
0: Yeah, and and nursing's changed. A lot since your grandma was a nurse, and I know we've had this conversation um, a lot, probably daily, <laughs> um, about healthcare and how it's evolving. And obviously, we have a unique relationship with you being in healthcare and now me being in politics and business. It's kind of a, a kind of a, a cool combination where we get to see all different sides of the spectrum and how they interact. Um, but what is it about the field or the the specific practice of nursing? Uh, that you're in now that you love so much because you chose long-term care and uh, and also palliative care and a lot of people when they think nurse the first thing they think of is emergency room ICU they think hospital Mm -hmm. Uh, what is it about long-term care that really made you feel at home
1: well from obviously starting in it with my mom um, it always felt like a home environment Uh, It was very comforting comfortable And I like the way that the interactions were between the residents. You could really tell that that was their own space, Um, they felt comfortable in it, and they were able to to converse with anyone that came along their path. And once I started in long-term care as a registered practical nurse, it kind of opened my eyes that, you know, I'm not doing chest compressions and saving lives and, you know, all that stuff you see in the TV shows. You hear from other nurses, which is fantastic because we need that. Mm -hmm. But we also need people to take care of our most vulnerable uh, sector of people, and which is the elderly. Mm. And you really start to appreciate um, the time you spend with them daily.
0: And I think that's one thing, too, because even for myself, I don't think I realized it until, you know, you and I started our relationship together about the difference between long term care and palliative care and emergency and even urgent care. I didn't know there was a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, like when people say the Port Coburn Hospital and, and the St. Catherine's Hospital, they don't offer the same things. They offer two very different things. And I think the education portion of health care is lacking in the general public. You know, one of my favorite uh, ads that I saw was, um, I don't, I can't remember who did it, but it was like, have the flu urgent care, have the bubonic plague, <laughs> go, go to the emergency room. Yes. Uh, so I think, I think it's really, really interesting. And also with the, with the elderly and with people with long-term dis- disabilities and illnesses in long-term care, it's really easy to, I think, forget about the people we care about, which sounds awful, but you know what happens where, people have lives to live and, you know, two parents can raise six kids, but six kids can't raise two parents or take care of two parents. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why I think it's so important to have people in the field that you're in taking care of, um, people and not, not just for health reasons, but also, also mental health and quality of life, providing a, a comfortable environment for them, uh, and just making them Remember that they're still people. They're not mm-hmm. just people you have to take care of. They're people that want, that love, and feel anger, and feel happiness, and feel everything every other person feels.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You see a lot of that in the field, um, and it really opens your eyes. And it's nothing against uh, any loved ones, family members, really, especially you know, let's say your mother, or father is in a long-term care home, and you do, you know, you have a life, you have ch- children, you have you know, busy careers. Um, and that stuff gets in the way. Um, but, you know, people make their best efforts. And, and that's why I wanted to join the field because I can, you know, I've, I see my mother and uh, my grandma. She's recently been uh, put into a, a home because just of, you know, living circumstances and being difficult to take care of herself mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, and they all try their very best to visit her. Um, and now being the most hardest time to visit because of this uh, coronavirus makes it really tough. Um mm-hmm with the uh, isolation and whatnot.
0: So this th- this may be a good segue. I don't want to stay on the subject for too long. But right now, we're recording this on Saturday, March 14th. It'll be live on Sunday, March 15th. So usually we record this a few days prior to, to the Sunday when this releases. But uh, with this particular instance, we thought it would be important to give kind of a quick update because Things can change from day to day, but right now, with in Canada um, and across the world, three, four days makes a huge difference uh, with where we are uh, from country to country, from region to region. And right now, I believe we're only at one confirmed case of COVID 19 in Niagara, correct? Yes. And so there's a lot of misconceptions and a lot of things going on with it, but maybe the first thing we could talk about is. How is this affecting long, the, the long-term care world? Because obviously those are some of the most vulnerable people in, in our communities. They're people with underlying health, uh, health problems and they're elderly, so their immune systems aren't in place uh, the way they should be uh, or as the same way as they, they are for young people. So um, what are some of the measures that uh, long-term care homes are taking, in, at least for the region?
1: So just recently within maybe let's just give a window of three days because I'm just not really right on the number, um they started to close all the regional long-term care homes um to visitors until you know further notices um with exception to people who are visiting their loved ones who are end of life um in palliative care and we recently just started doing active screening at our doors now we just have uh i believe one entrance let's say for example in my home that i'm working at um and we're screening for symptoms recent travel history um possible contacts and potential cases before people can enter the building. This is including staff members too, um, because we want to be really tight on staff, whether they have new, new uh, coughs, you know, all that kind of stuff, just even a stiffly nose, it can come down to, right? Um, And especially our residents leaving the home as well. So we have people who goal us to For example, the St. Catharines General, they have dialysis appointments, Um, you know, still has to go on as per usual. Um, But we just started febrile respiratory illness screening um, when they enter into the home. So now we're going to be making sure internally we're safe
0: as well. And so... I have no idea what that means. What does what this screening entail? Is it like a swab or is it a temperature test? How do they do the yeah, test? Just a
1: general screening. Um, couple questions obviously, a temperature. We want to make sure that there's no spiking or potential fevers arising. Um, you know, blood pressures, vitals, all that kind of stuff. Uh, just making sure that person's coming back safe um, mm-hmm. and that there's no signs. Um, and then we're, as soon as they're back, we're helping them get clean, get ready for bed, uh, or whatever time they're coming home.
0: That's awesome. Um, one thing I, I I think is awesome to share because obviously for people who don't live in Niagara, who uh, haven't had the, what I would say, the great opportunity to visit the black sheep, uh, (laughs) they, they don't understand, I guess, sometimes we're discouraging mass gatherings, people of over 250 in Ontario. Uh, but there's, there's kind of a misconception that you shouldn't be going out at all. And if you have no symptoms, uh, and you're taking, proper hand-washing procedures, you're washing your hands, you're sanitizing surfaces that are frequently used. It is encouraged to go out. Um, And so for myself, owning a cafe, um, our staff and myself depend on customers still coming in. Uh, And so obviously we take great measure to make sure the place is clean and safe all the time as per Niagara Regional Standards and Health. Uh, But also during this particular instance and this kind of unique instance uh, with COVID-19 we've had to ramp it up even more so not because we necessarily have to but one for peace of mind and two to ensure that people feel comfortable to come out and uh, not just to any other place but to the black sheep in particular uh and one thing that I've been very fortunate to have is you in my life, um, and you've been able to to train our staff at least from a high level on best practice and you know how we can uh, inform our customers to be safe and uh, to help prevent a further spread of of any disease or virus. So I think it's been really a, a great. Um, a great selling point too, uh, to have someone like you on board. And yesterday we posted a little bit of a statement. Uh, we have hand-washing signs. We have um, signage to, that says how to spot COVID-19. So uh, we'll be looking for that at the shop uh, to make sure that people aren't bringing, uh, bringing that illness in if they're using reusable cups. We're looking for that kind of stuff as well. So um, what what's something that restaurant owners small business owners can do um that's simple uh that they could do every day to maybe help prevent some of the uh the spread because obviously when we want to promote small business and not just the black sheep we need people to be stimulating the economy because that could be do more harm than than good by staying home
1: Hmm. um within the restaurant industry uh obviously you know as all typically do is fantastic hand washing um that's your best goal, you know. Either we could pump as much hand sanitizer we want as on our hands. Um, but hand washing, most effective, absolutely. So throughout your day, uh, whenever c- coming in contact with your cash register, shaking someone's hand, you know, let's we could avoid it.
0: Yeah, fist bumps, <laughs> elbows.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, but very basic practices. It's really not something to get in a huge uproar. I mean, you know, very good to be aware and, and conscious about. Um, however, it's, you know, as simple as that and making sure all surfaces are being cleansed throughout the day, um, adequately, um, disinfectant wipes, whatever it may be, Mm -hmm. just very basic stuff. It's really not that crazy. No, I
0: know. And I think that's what I'm really trying to get across, um, is it's not, it's not really that bad. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously 60% or more from what I've read in statistics uh, of the population of the world could get infected with this virus. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to affect everybody the same. Uh, There's a bunch of numbers that are out there. um, But at, at the end of the day, if we're preventing the spread, we're protecting the most vulnerable, but it's it's not necessarily about the majority of people who are healthy with no underlying health issues like myself. I I'm If I do get the virus, which is a possibility, there's a very low chance that I'm going to be hurting from it, but it could happen. So mm, the best thing know. to do is be smart, be safe, uh, but don't freak out because yeah. it's, it's really, this is not the black plague. We're not going to wipe <laughs> out half the population <laughs> of the world. Um, so go out, support your small businesses. This is just a little mid podcast rant. (laughs) Uh, Well, because I mean, you think about it, we're going to put a lot of strain on the system and we're very fortunate in Canada to, I mean, there's some recent announcements saying that all of our employees in Ontario are going to be able to have access to EI faster. It's going to be immediate, which usually there's a a couple days of waiting period, which they don't have to wait for. Uh, And there's now funding available for small businesses, which is great. Uh, But it's never Enough because obviously you couldn't fully fund every business using taxpayer money. Eventually you're gonna run out. Well, that's just uh, it. So that's that's that one thing. But one thing that you and I love, John Taffer and Bar Rescue. <laughs> going back to hand washing. Anybody who's not familiar with Bar Rescue, it's it's like the sorry Gordon Ramsay, but I think it's the more entertaining version <laughs> <laughs> of, of Kitchen Nightmares. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's focused on the on the bar industry, but they set up hidden cameras and obviously the staff know they're there, uh, but they don't necessarily know that, they don't remember all the time they're being recorded. And so they start to see things like how, uh, how restaurants and bars treat um, hand-washing and how they store produce and meats and cheeses. And uh, even in regular life, they show the importance of safe hand washing and, and proper preparation techniques. So I think now more than ever is a good reminder of why it's important, not just now, but all the time. Mm-hmm. Wash your hands and clean your surfaces down. It's as simple as that. Um, another thing is I, I always, from the day I met you, I think the most interesting thing about you is the contrast in passions that you have. Uh, f- for as long as we've been together, you haven't done it, but when I met you, you were doing it and now, you know, you've confirmed that you're going to be doing it this year is racing.
1: Yes. So, <laughs> yes.
0: So y- we have a beautiful blonde. Well, not we, but I have a beautiful blonde across from me. <laughs> you guys don't get to have her. Sorry. Uh, but I have a beautiful blonde across from me. You know, you're, when you're wearing a sweater, you couldn't tell, but you got tattoo sleeve and you're a nurse. So you're sc- caring. You've got this appearance then you also know how at least the basics of how to fix a car and obviously how to race and destroy them in an evil mm. destruction thing. How does that... Do you ever have people question, like, how could you be someone who's so caring yet have a, 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 an interest that's so violent? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I just got that the other day, too, from one of my residents. That's so funny you say that. Um, very, the sweetest, sweetest lady, such a sweet lady. Um, and I wasn't wearing my sweater. Typically when I'm working, I am wearing my sweater. Um, a lot of the residents don't see my tattoos. It's just a general, you know, respect I have because the generation, right? Yep. Totally fine. But you see, makes
0: your job easier. <laughs>
1: you see, it's starting to change, though. You know, they doesn't even phase them. They, you, it's really a awesome storytelling point, too. Mm-hmm. But anyways, so she sees my tattoos for this her first time, and she goes, "Oh my goodness!" She goes, "I can't believe you have those!" She goes, "From such a beautiful face, I wouldn't have." You know, thought of that, right? I said, Oh, yeah, you know. (laughs) So just kind of went along with it. You know, it's something I told myself, Oh, I'm never going to get, you know, a sleeve. Or I remember my mom bringing to get my first tattoo, and I go, Mom, never going to get another one. You know, that's how you get more. Yep, (laughs) that's how you get more. I started on the feet and then I went to my shoulder and I go, Oh, Mom, you know, this one was for my papa on my shoulder. That's it, it means
0: something. That's it.
1: Yeah, this is, you know, such an awesome thing for me to get, Mom. And then, you know, he turned 18, all hell broke loose, and <laughs> here we are. But, you know, I think it's really fun to play around with because I can appear as this, you know, regular blonde little gal, nothing, mm-hmm. and then I tell a story, and people are, like, floored. They're like, oh, wow, it's pretty well, crazy. I, I <laughs> wanted to
0: ask that because I was you kind of an- started to answer the follow-up to that question, which is how, what, what are the, the – uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, how do people perceive you as a nurse? Do you get that a lot because I know it traditionally when you think of it you want a lot of the the population in that world wants someone who's more on the conservative side of dressing and mm-hmm. do you find it's much of a barrier anymore or not really? People are no. pretty easy.
1: No. um and you even even taking into consideration religions. This you know? is coming
0: from a peacock.
1: Seriously, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of residents, you know, it's it's wonderful. The different types of religion you come across in the field. Um, And you see they're adapting to it because a lot of healthcare professionals have these tattoos now and it doesn't show any different. You know, we're still who we are. Mm -hmm. We're still, you know, respectable individuals. and
0: Obviously well-educated.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, And wanting to show we really care about you and that's why we're here. Um, And they've adapted to it. Really, you don't they don't really have much to say except for, you know, tell me the story. Why do you have this one? And what does this one mean? And why would you get that? And, you know, it's really neat.
0: It is. Uh, and I just thought of something now as you were as you were answering the question, which is like in long-term care, obviously we can't get into specifics, um, but you, you have to deal with people with all different abilities and disabilities, whether that's physical, mental, or emotional, whatever it is. Is there a certain group or a certain type of individual that really you're passionate about? Like, because I know, like in in the community service field, like if you're a volunteer, people there's people who are really passionate about raising money for cancer, and others that are really passionate about raising money for diabetes or for Huntington's or whatever it, it is. It, people usually seem to have one thing that they're really passionate about for you do you do you deal with that whether that's like Alzheimer's or dementia or um cognitive delay or anything like that is there a, obviously I know you care about everyone, but is there one that really excites you or uh, one that you really seem to connect with
1: um really in in specifics not necessarily um because I am a new nurse i it's what maybe five months now five six months um, I've been exposed to you know different types of, uh, diagnoses. And I would say really all of them, um, coming, you know, let's say from the spectrum of, let's say Alzheimer's, schizophrenia, you know, leading into like bipolar disorder, really all of them is each one is a different experience. Um, and I never really, you know, some nurses say it, but you have little tricks up your sleeve for each one. Um, and you adapt to these people and, and you can really connect with them still. They are still people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the beauty of it. As I, when I first started, let's say you'd get on a floor, there's 45 people, and you know, I don't have, you really, you know, you don't have time to search up all 45 people, all their diagnoses, all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It comes with time and it comes with knowing the people. Um, when I first started on a floor, I didn't know what this person had, what this person had, you know, just, just people. Yeah, go and the, the way room. I interacted with them, I wouldn't have even guessed. Oh, this one's got schizophrenia. This one's got blah, blah, blah. I would have never known. Mm-hmm. I'm having a blast with all of them. You know? Really, mm-hmm. it was really nothing to me. When you see the term on paper, that's when, you know, everything almost changes. You start to look at this person from a different perspective, which sometimes, you know, you have you have to know. That's yeah, of course. That's part yeah. of the profession, really. Um, but you can put this little barrier on and... They're just, a, you know, an awesome, fun individual to me. And I think that's the technique I like to bring into the field is, you know, I'm a peer. I'm a friend. Let's have a good shift. You know what I'm saying? For sure. A really good day. It's, it's not even really a job anymore when I go in, which is the beauty of it. Uh, and the home, it's, you know, you know, it's cliches. It sounds. I'm going to see my other family mm-hmm. every day. And it's like the best experience I could really ever ask for.
0: That's, that was kind of what I was hoping to get out of you because obviously anyone who listens to the podcast knows that everybody who's on as a guest is someone who obviously loves what they do, but they're able to make a living with a, their passion. Mm-hmm. And so to segue, is that one of the reasons why you chose this sector of nursing in long term care? Is it because of the relationships you get to build with people? Is that is that, am I on the money hundred
1: percent. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, as a nurse, would I want to work with babies? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would love to. However, I do have a very soft spot for the elderly. I learned so many wise things. There's all the, the soft time.
0: spot. I found it. It's the elderly.
1: <laughs> That's it. That's why you're with me. <laughs> yes, sir. Because <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I just, you really, you know, as a 21 year old in the field, it's tough. It is. You know, I'm working with other staff members, PSWs, my, my staff for a shift that are significantly, you know, let's say double my age, you know, almost closer to triple with some people that have been in the field for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's tough, but you learn a lot of things with these people. You learn a lot from the elderly, from, mm-hmm. you know, staff have been in the field for a long time
0: having that mutual uh, respect is important because mm-hmm. uh, not only can you learn from their experience, but they can learn from some of the new techniques that come out of school these days, because obviously things have changed drastically over 40 years in nursing school. Um, so I, I think it's great as long as people are open to learn and connect with other people and have that mutual respect. I think uh, there's a lot to benefit f- uh, from both parties.
1: Yeah, you ha- you have to. You have to collaborate in the field, really, no matter what. You know, health sector you're in, Um, positive work relationships are the best you could get. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have a a great staff that you can collaborate with and that you just know, you know each other. They're like your, you know, people say like your work family, right? You know what the other one's thinking, what this one's thinking, and then just it goes so much smoother. You know, you know your people, right? You know your residents, you know your family. And that's what makes it a home environment, really. And it's hard. It's hard with, um, let's say, like, you know, part times and in temporary positions, and it it gets overwhelming for the people. And I've been taking these temporaries a lot. um, But I've been very fortunate that I just I try my hardest to connect with these people in a short amount of time. And and it's been going good. And also
0: because you want to. It's not. It's not mm-hmm. because it's a necessity by any means. But you you do enjoy thoroughly connecting with with your residents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I was gonna. Where was I going with this? Oh my god, Catherine. It's
1: okay. I have a question for you. For me?
0: Okay. Yes. This is new. It's. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Very important question. Um, I've been kind of freaking out about it. Do you know if we have any toilet paper? <laughs> <laughs>
0: like. Not that I really want to dive into this, but uh, for those that don't know, I have a ton of bowel issues, okay, <laughs> so toilet paper doesn't last very long in this household, uh, and there's only two of us that's it <laughs>
1: there's only two
0: <laughs> yeah i'm I, I'm a little depressed because like we were lucky that when this whole thing broke out, we had like two full like those jumbo packs oh yeah we, we just bro- we just broke out the <laughs> the second one, uh, and I'm just terrified for the moment when we're running out, and I have to deal with trying to run around finding this like a maniac.
1: That was my only question. That was it.
0: <laughs> but yeah, we, we have to All right, perfect. Just needed it all. <laughs> oh God, that was funny. Um, okay, here, here it is. What do you think is one of the most important things a non-healthcare professional can do to increase their experience with long-term care? So let's say, for instance, for myself, my mom's mom, my grandma, uh, was somewhat recently admitted into a uh, long-term, well, a retirement home. And the transition for the family was difficult. And I, and I believe that it was difficult for multiple reasons. But I think the biggest, and this is my personal belief. I'm not saying this is the truth. I'm asking you, but I'm going to give a little context. I believe it was extra difficult because the family didn't prepare for this moment, Not saying they didn't do it financially or they didn't do it, but I don't think they mentally prepared. Their mom is in their 80s, um, healthy, but when someone gets to their 80s, you need to, you have to have already started to think about what's going to happen as your loved ones get older. So what do you think is the most important thing for families to do to prepare for, um, for anyone, elderly or not?
1: Okay. I think I know where to go with this.
0: It wasn't a very clear question. So no, just go where no, you want. No, no, no. I think I get it. I think we're good.
1: My brain just has to process a bit. Okay. So, you know, with with your mom, uh, whoever's mom, your dad, whatever, when they're older, you really want to be open about conversation. Oh, you always want to be open about everything, but I'm just saying mm-hmm. in regards to their wishes, right? Yeah, for sure. It doesn't, you know, deaf whatever, whatever wishes they want. Um, You wanna prepare because in those times where it's emergency, you gotta do what you gotta do, it's just, I see it so many times, it's just really stressful, it is. So you wanna prepare for anything as much as possible. So let's say, for example, um, you know, dad's been in his apartment for, oh my gosh, let's say he's coming close to his 70s. You could see changes in dad, um, his walking is getting a little tough. He's still good in the mind, still doing his thing, you know? Um, but you see things are starting to change. Um, you want to be open with him and, you know, have those conversations. You know, dad, like I, I'm seeing this, um, let's try to figure a plan out. Let's mm. see what, what you want to do, right? We
0: start with a cane, right? Like let's get you a cane. So your e- walking's a little mm. easier.
1: Let's yeah, let's get, you know, and that's when you can start getting, into the healthcare field because it's, it's such, it's, you know, for families, it's such an intimidating thing. Mm. It really is. Um, it's because it's so big, you don't know where to start, you know, Mm. especially when you don't have, you know, a healthcare professional in your family that will say, Hey, here's some resources for you. You know, let's say you've got nobody. You really want to be prepared. So, um, you can, you know, with all the computers and stuff we have now, just go click it online. Let's say, dad, let's, let's find you an occupational and physiotherapist, you know, let's do that. Let's see if we can get some coverage for someone to come in, get you suited up. Let's say we can get you a cane, utilize a walker. Mm -hmm. They can assess him. Um, Let's see, you know, maybe along the path. And obviously with collaboration of your general uh, practitioner or your doctor in simpler terms. (laughs) Um, And then from there, you know, let's talk about, well, dad, you know, maybe a retirement home could be an option mm-hmm. if that's needed, right? Um, he starts forgetting taking his forgetting to take his pills, that kind of stuff. Well, let's go into that transition. So then you've got a retirement home environment. Um, great. You can meet with more people. That's awesome, you know, with the elderly. You really want to keep them active. Like anybody needs to be mm-hmm. active. You want social interactions. Um, and then from there, if... Troubles are there. You always want to be prepared for long term care,
0: really. And that's where I wanted to go with this is when I when I started this my little uh, preamble. I wasn't by any means criticizing not not only my own family but anybody's family because it's tough. Like you live your whole life, and we're both young adults, but life goes quickly. Now you start to realize, oh my god, you like my my dad's almost sixty, and you know in ten years he'll be almost seventy, and then it it goes by so quickly. Mm-hmm. And so I understand, and it's also a difficult conversation. And some people's parents aren't easy to talk to. Some of them don't want to have that conversation. No, I'm fine. I don't want to do this, whatever. The unfortunate circumstances that we're dealing with is that because there's so many people in that aging population, there is a thing that we call in Ontario and in, in Niagara, the list. And it's getting your loved one on that list. Yes. And a lot of the time, it's prior to the time they're showing any signs or symptoms. And to think like, mom, mom's healthy. Dad's healthy. Uncle Jim's healthy. But do, are we going to seriously put him on a three-year waiting list to be in long-term care? Because he's fine. He's fine. But by the time he's not, maybe he never is not fine. Maybe he's going to live to 94 and die and sleep peacefully. And that's like the most ideal situation in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the time it, ha- you start to get sick out of nowhere. And now it's too late. Now you have to wait three years. And depending on the severity of, of what you're dealing with, obviously, they do shuffle around priorities on the list. Uh, but h- how do you think families can go about having that conversation? Uh, is uh, Obviously, it's going to differ from family to family. Yes. But do you think it's important for people to put themselves on the list, even if they don't need it, and then deny it later on? And
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no shame in doing it, you know? Um, that conversation is really tough, especially when you're speaking to your mom or your dad. And um, it's just a matter of preparity, really. Mm -hmm. You want to be ready in case it happens because at least you have that thing to lean on if it comes to time. It's like an
0: insurance policy.
1: Yeah, and if you don't, let's say you're on the list and let's say, three, four years when your time comes, or whatever the wait list time is. I don't know what it is right now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when that time comes, still doing Okay. Put your, you know, stay on that list and keep doing what you're doing. Because mm-hmm. that's, you know, better safe than sorry, really. Um, my mom and I, we just had this conversation the other day when we were going to treasure hunt as our usual shopping trip in Coburn. I asked her, and I'm 21. My mom's, you know, in her early 50s. No, she's, she's got to be 31, 32. I, I just exposed her. Oh, <laughs> are we allowed to swear on here? Am I going to have to Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> K <Okay>, Jeffree star.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I'm asking my mom... <laughs> I'm like, mom, like, what are we going to do with you? (laughs) She's like, you know, you have, she understands. She's, uh, my mom's a healthcare professional and she's been in, oh my gosh, 30 years. Let's say, you know.
0: Deals with everything. She knows. Infection control, all these things.
1: she, She knows. And we've even went into talking about death. You know, because it should be open. Mm-hmm. And this is something I've been reading all these books and watching all these mortician videos. Shout and, out to Caitlin. Yes, Caitlin <laughs> Doty I, I think that's how you pronounce her last name. Um, that these conversations are so vital to have. And it doesn't matter what age you are. Because when my mom's time comes, yeah, I know it's sad to be talking about it when she's 50 years old, but I want to know what my mom wants, you know, what my dad wants.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: My mom wants something simple. Cremation seems to be, you know, direct cremation seems to be the cheapest alternative right now. Mm-hmm. Have a party, you know, have a celebration of life. My dad <laughs> him him is my father. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, sure, get some ashes wherever you wherever you want to put me, you want to put me. Love my dad for it. I'll sprinkle them in the Chevelle floorboards. I always keep telling him that lately. That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah. You know, be ready, be prepared. It's not nothing to be nervous about. If I could put myself on the list now, I'd probably do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, I don't know what it's going to look like when our generation gets to the point Well, technically we're two different generations, but let's just, for the sake of Yikes. making this simple, <laughs> say we're both the same. Uh, by the time people our age are at the point of time where, where they may need some uh, care, ex- extra care, the challenges are going to be very different. Mm-hmm. Um Because there's so few of us compared to the boomer generation, uh, we're going to have an abundance of space and maybe we're going to be we have too much room, you know, so maybe costs are going to go up because we have too many empty rooms. And so we have to subsidize somehow. So there's always going to be new challenges. Um, But what I want to get across with this is that it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, There's nothing wrong with getting older. If you're if you're fortunate enough to, to be born in the first place and then even more fortunate to live a long and healthy life, there's nothing shameful whatsoever about starting to feel tired or uh, sore or weak. That's OK. It's part it's natural and it's part of life. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And, and I think the more you talk about it and the younger you start, uh, the better it's going to be for everybody. Um you know, I joke with my mom all the time saying I'm going to throw her in a home and I'm not going to look back. I'm not going to visit her. Oh but obviously a joke because I know and I do that as a, you know, as a guy, it's kind of a shielding mechanism. You almost think like, ah, it's OK, I'm going to toss you in there. So you don't have to actually deal with the emotion and the feeling of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think having a plan just saves families, you know, it and the relationships between siblings and uh, kids and uh, and their parents. It's just, it's a smart thing to do. And now that, you know, I'm seeing it firsthand with some of my own family, uh, they've been doing an incredible job of of making um, their loved ones feel comfortable. It starts to make me think about it more because now I'm seeing it as a young person thinking, oh man, it seems so distant, but it really, I mean, again, it, it isn't, it's just one lifetime away. Yeah. Um, and, and so it makes me think about it a lot more, which is why I'm, one of the many reasons why I'm so excited to be able to have this conversation with you here is to share a side of health care I don't think people get to talk about much or understand it all that well if they don't have someone in healthcare care uh, in their family. Uh, because like I said, without you in my life, I don't know if I would know nor care about um, long-term care or palliative care in, in the same regard. When you were doing your consolidation at hospice, I absolutely fell in love with, you know, that field and palliative care and thinking because I had the same misconceptions about nursing. I thought, well, don't you want to save lives? Mm-hmm. And and you're like, I kind of am. It's just a different way. These people are already living and they deserve the best quality of life while they have one. Uh, and that perspective, it's something. It just melts your heart because you think I have people in my life I love and I would want them to be happy for as long as they're able to be. Uh, and so having people like yourself and all the other incredibly dedicated uh, and caring health professionals is paramount.
1: Yeah, that's a place that was really Mm eye-opening, for sure. Um, I was so, so fortunate um, to go to hospice. Through Niagara College, um, the consolidating sites and uh, placements options are fabulous um, and that one kind of spoke to me at first i had I had no knowledge really of palliative care other than in the long-term care homes that my you know my mother would explain to me um, and when I arrived there such such a warm place mm-hmm. as soon as you walk through the doors, it's just warmth um, and you can tell every single individual there, no matter whether, nursing staff, um, you know, including, you know, RNs, RPNs, PSWs, management, all that. They love their job so much, like, without a doubt. You have to love it and love people to be there. And the nurses I learned from there, just absolutely flawless, flawless. The kindest people I've ever met, um, you know, they... Taught a lot of life lessons too, which now over the past year, I've been tying into more and more that I learned that stuff about a year ago, but I reflect on it now. And I go, wow, like I wish more people had this opportunity. I wish everybody could go into hospice. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. And just get a touch of it, you know, because you go, you get into the hospital placements and stuff and it's a different world and palliative care is different, is so different in every sector. Um, but at hospice, you've got 10 people, 10 people um, varying. And you're with them. You know, it's a 12-hour shift, wherever, however long you're, you're there. And you're with these families all day. These fami- Absolutely. You know, these families are here. You get to hear so many stories, life stories. Um, just, it's I it almost makes me speechless, really, to talk about it. It was... Uh, um, absolutely outstanding, and that's, the level of care there is phenomenal.
0: That's amazing. Shout out to Hospice Niagara. Yes, say um, <laughs> I want to ask you two quick questions before we have to wrap this thing up. I can't believe how fast that flew by. Ooh. You were worried about thirty minutes. We're at forty-one. Wow, that's good. <laughs> yeah, went by quickly. <laughs> so you're a very new nurse. Does not mean you're inexperienced because I mean you've been in this field forever as a volunteer and as an activist, and now you're here as a registered professional, which is amazing. What would you say? Is one thing that you wish you would have known in nursing school for other people who are potential new nurses? Uh, is there uh, a mindset people should have, or you know, maybe they should decide what type of nursing they want to get into? What's one thing you think that would be important for them to know, or a few things if you have them?
1: Hmm. Okay. So once you graduate, you're going to be really nervous, insanely nervous to start whatever position you're in, whatever you know path you decide to go with. I think something someone has told me, um, or maybe more than just someone, a couple people, other nurses, that it's always a 24 hour operation. You know, you can't do everything and you can't get everything done. And that's okay. If you Mm can, awesome. You know, you have a good shift, great. You can help a lot of people, you can get a lot of stuff done. But if you can't, don't take it out on yourself is I'm learning. Don't try to just leave stuff for the next person. Obviously, you know what I'm saying? Get as much done as you can. You know, yeah, try your hardest. But don't get hung up over about it. Don't go home and lay in bed and go, oh my gosh, I'm, yeah, I suck. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm slow. I suck, blah, blah, blah. It's not like that. Yeah, because then your you boyfriend know. or girlfriend has to deal with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: just kidding. It was great.
1: You know, you you got to do what you got to do. And it's a 24 operation. Things will get done. People, you mm. have to have each other's backs especially in the field.
0: Yeah, I think that's an incredible piece of advice uh, because I think that's true of any field is if you are passionate and you care about the job or the person or the thing that you're doing, you're going to take that home with you in some aspect and you're going to carry that because you love it, so you think about it. And uh, obviously that's going to happen, but definitely not... not weighing that against your decision to do what you do. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, you're obviously making a difference, uh, uh, not just you, but anyone who's pursuing their passion. They're, you're making a difference in your world, in your field, in your community, uh, and to keep doing that. But you can't take care of other people if you can't take care of yourself. Yes. Uh, so you got to make sure that you're, you know, you're sleeping and you know, you're well-rested. You, you're eating and you're drinking water because you can have a 12-hour shift and not eat or drink, and then you wonder why after six days doing 12 hour shifts while you're exhausted. Uh, So it's, it's important. Uh, The last question I wanted to ask you a little bit on the darker side, but what is, how do you deal with the loss in this field? Because I know you're not an emergency, an emergency. um, I don't know what the death rates are. I couldn't give you statistics, nor I don't think you would have them either, but I would assume that in emergency, they deal with death more frequently, so more often. But uh, they don't necessarily have as long of a relationship with um, the people they're they're making, you know, spending their time with, like mm-hmm. they would in long term care. So, for someone like you, who may spend months or even years with uh, with some of your residents, how do you deal with their passing?
1: Um, you know what it it really depends. Um, because you get you do when you're there every day, you really get close to these people if you know you allow yourself to. Um. And during when you know when someone passes, um, and you have that walk of honor, which you know they do in all the regional homes, um, mm-hmm. hospice, you know wherever it is. It's really a touching situation Um, especially for the first couple times I experienced death you know Um, I did with family members but when it's not a family member you think oh you know I'll be fine you know it's it's hard it's really hard and trying to speak to someone's passing as well when someone's died Um, reading that poem at their walk honor you can really break because you start to recall all these memories you had, all those funny times, those hard times, those times where those residents really opened up to you. You ha- you know, even that just five minute conversation where you go, "Wow, I can't believe they, you know, were open with me about that." You start to reflect on that, um, and you know, my mom can attest to this too. She's, you could see it's changed. But my mom has had residents, um, you know, like ten years that they've been there. And my mom's seen their transition, that they've come in with a sharp mind, and things happen, you know, mm-hmm. aging happens. And, you know, when they come along this path where they've been diagnosed with dementia or whatnot, and it you see this transition, and it's tough on the families, absolutely. But when you're there and you go, oh, my gosh, <laughs> it's tough.
0: 10-year friend, and, right? Yes, that's a, and that's that's a long that's, time.
1: And that's just it, you know. My mom, she... She's had a few that she that have been there. I think in between maybe ten, fifteen years, and it's she's gone to their funerals, mm-hmm. you know, and not even batting an eye. It's someone she really cared about, you know. So, so I guess you go, to, you you help alongside with the family, and they you you become a family with them, really.
0: And so I guess that's that that's the point, right? If you've provided the best care you can as a healthcare professional, uh, and you've given them you know, the tools they need to be healthy and you give them a, a good experience, you become friends or not. But if you're close to these people, the best you can hope is you gave them a great quality of life. Um, you trust that you, you couldn't have done any more to make their life better. That in itself should be enough um, consolation to feel good. But obviously it's just like any other death. You have to uh, use time. And time mm-hmm. is really what heals all wounds.
1: And there's a beauty in it that's something i've come to learn about too about death is it's you know it's hard to cope with absolutely but um with the elderly you know you see someone at the age of 105 that i've had in the home and they've recently passed and you go wow what a life they lived you know I mean, like
0: there was like no electricity. Yeah, (laughs) you know, like
1: no, no cell phones, no tablets. Oh my gosh, you know. (laughs) Seriously. But yeah, you really just think what a beautiful thing, you know. Just the circle of life is just so fascinating to me. But yeah.
0: This is a, a unique circumstance because a lot of the people on the podcast, I can direct them somewhere to find you, uh, but your profession is a little bit different. So mm-hmm. uh, there's not necessarily a Catherine Cornwall uh, <laughs> website for nursing, but for people who want to know more or n- want some Tips and tricks for their family, or just are seeking advice as a new nurse or anything like that, or someone who's thinking about getting into the nursing profession, is there a way that someone can get a hold of you? I don't expect to give your cell phone number because I don't want boys calling you. But, <laughs> but maybe yeah. an email?
1: Email, yeah. Um, KE Cornwall1 at outlook.com. You could email me um, on Facebook. If you've got connection to the black sheep, you've got connection to me. Um, I'm posting on there. You'll see me comment. You can. Click on my profile, message me. Um, I've got contact with the students at Niagara College still and professors that are still working um, that are flawless, amazing, great professors that I had. Um, And I'm sure would be open to resources. If you have questions, if you're a new nurse, if you're thinking about going to nursing school um, and some things that you'll need, I'd be happy to help.
0: You guys are listening to episode 34 of Above the Mug with the most kind, caring, beautiful, and perfect person I've ever met in my life, registered practical nurse, Katie Cornwall. I will see you guys next week. Thanks for being here, babes. Thank you. Hey, friend. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Above the Mug. For more episodes, check us out at abovethemug.com. Make sure to like, share, subscribe, review, comment, tag your friends. This way you're not the only person listening to this thing. We come up with a brand new podcast every Sunday at noon. So we'll see you next week on Above the Mug.